Well, good morning. It's good again to be with you this morning. Uh, Our scripture passage this morning comes from Isaiah. As we continue moving through this prophecy, uh, we come to Isaiah 7 today. We're going to look at Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 17. And as we'll turn to this text in a moment, you'll recognize part of it. There will be one verse that stands out as a verse that you are very familiar with. And the rest of it might seem maybe a little bit odd unfamiliar. Maybe some questions about why is this verse in this, in this place? The context that we have is a conversation between Ahaz, who is king of Judah, and the prophet Isaiah. There is a threat on the horizon. Syria and the Ephraimites, that's the, really just the Israelites, the ten tribes of Israel and Syria, are pressing in on Ahaz. He doesn't know what to do. He's going to come up with a plan that we'll see in the text, but it's a moment of crisis. And his question, in a sense, is where is God? What is God doing in this moment of crisis, this moment where everything seems to be coming apart? All the promises God has made, all the things that we know to be true of God, all of those seem maybe to be in jeopardy as we open this passage this morning. And so the question for us and the question for Ahaz is, is God going to show up? And if so, do we want him to? Let's turn our attention to God's Word this morning. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, Is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted." The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have come, not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your words in this passage. Lord, as we come to them this morning, would you give us insight into your truth? Lord, would you change us even as we come and submit ourselves to the truth of your word? Would you bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together this morning? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Maybe you remember this, giving people directions to your home. Maybe, maybe you still do this, but most of the time now you just give somebody an address, right? And they'll show up at your door at the appointed, at the appointed time. Now, growing up, I remember that my dad, my dad was a, is a civil engineer, and he uh, had this very precise hand-drawn map that lived by our phone. Um, It was to scale. It was everything that you would think a civil engineer's map would be with every sign labeled, every street diagrammed out of how to get to our house. So if somebody called and they wanted to know how to get to your house, you just told them the step-by-step instructions on this map, every sign labeled, every detail there for you. That would be really, really nice, wouldn't it? A sign like that to navigate our lives? Maybe, maybe as we look at this text and you see this language of signs, you say, wouldn't it be nice if I got a sign, a nicely drawn map that tells me exactly how to live my life and what to do next? 
Maybe you're looking for a sign this morning. Maybe you, like Ahaz, have some crisis in your life. It doesn't have to be something major, but something in your life that isn't going well, something in your life that needs to be adjusted, something in your life that you wish wasn't there, a crisis of some kind. Maybe you're looking for a sign to say, how could something change? Maybe it's something like your kids, looking at your kids who have departed your house, and you say, I want a sign that they're going to be okay. I want a sign that the kids I'm raising are going to be okay. I want a sign that my career is going to be okay. I want a sign that my health is going to be okay. I want a sign that in all the craziness of our world of spy balloons floating across our, our country, that things are going to be okay. I want a sign. What does God offer us in those moments where we look at the mess of the world and we say, I want a sign? A sign that God is real and cares in the middle of your situation this morning. What sign are we given? Well, we see here in the text that a sign is offered. Now, let's set the context here for a moment. It says in verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. We don't know exactly how much time has elapsed since the previous passage where there has been a conversation between Ahaz and Isaiah. But some, in the midst of some of this elapsed time, there is a crisis going on. Syria is coming. Ephraim is coming. This text talks about it as, as Ephraim, sort of as the leader of the ten tribes of Israel who are coming against Judah. This is, this is the moment that King Ahaz finds himself in, a true crisis. His kingdom is about to come apart. Forces that he can't withstand are coming to attack him. And as we look at Chronicles, there's some more sort of detail about this, and we see that Syria and Ephraim actually do inflict some serious damage on Ahaz. And it's in this context that we begin this, this conversation. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, says this to him, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Ask a sign. In this moment of crisis, when everything seems to be coming apart, ask me for a sign. And, and he specifies what this sign can be. Anything as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Really, he's saying in our parlance, the, the sky's the limit. Ask me for a sign. Ask me for a sign that will confirm to you that I am your God, that I am the one who will carry you through. We know from other places in Scripture that Ahaz has not had a track record of doing this. He has gone to idolatry, and his scheme that we'll see in a minute is really that he wants the king of Assyria to come and take care of his problems. Really, the, the situation is he sees Syria and Ephraim sort of coming in, and he says, you know what? I need somebody bigger. I need somebody with real artillery, with bigger chariots, more horses. So I'm going to go to Assyria and say, Assyria, you come and you take care of my enemies for me. That's his plan. That's what he's going for. But God interjects into that and offers a sign. Now, let's pause for a moment here. This is a little bit puzzling that he's going to be offered a sign and then reject it. Think for a moment. God offers you a sign. It can be anything. As high as heaven or as low as Sheol. What are you asking for? I'm sure something has come to mind, maybe something dramatic, something that sort of goes against the way nature normally works, something that would confirm to you that God is real and is going to do the things that he says he's going to do. This is a golden opportunity, isn't it? To finally have everything confirmed, to have all the crisis done away with. He's offered a sign. And what does he do? In a sense, what God is saying is, what do you need to see to understand that the only hope you have is in me? 
Anaya says this in verse 12. But I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, what is Ahaz doing there? Well, he's, he's quoting Scripture. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. He's, he's sort of finding a way to say, God, I'm actually going to just do what I'm going to do anyways, but I'm going to couch it in some biblical language. I'm going to find a way to sort of be diplomatic and, and reveal my hypocrisy to you at the same time. See, if God is offering him this sign, it is not a, a test of God for Ahaz to accept. What God is offering here in verse 11 in this sign is a gift to him. He's saying, Ahaz, what do you need to believe that I am the God who will care for you? What do you need to believe? Let me, let me provide that for me. Let me show that to you that I am the God who will sustain you. And Ahaz says, no, that's all right. I'm all right. I don't need that. See, when God says in Deuteronomy, do not put the Lord your God to the test, really what it's talking about there is this sort of rebellious posture that says, I don't believe in you, God. Show me something, and we'll see if it's enough for me. That sort of holds out faith as sort of a reward for God. It's not what Ahaz is about here. Ahaz just wants to go and do his own pragmatic way forward. He says, I've got this. My plan, my help, all of that is all that I need. See, really what's happened is this crisis has exposed Ahaz. Maybe, maybe you saw this this week, um, driving around sort of after the, the storm was over. What did you see everywhere? Branches, right? Branches down, maybe on your, your yard or just around, <clears throat> around town. And what happens when a branch breaks? Well, it exposes a weakness, right? Too much wind, too much ice, too much whatever, and too much weight on a limb, and it, it cracks. It's exposed, that's what happens here. This crisis exposes what Ahaz is really all about. In a sense, when God asks him to say, here, have a sign, it's asking him to say, would you act as somebody who believes? Would you act as a believer? Express faith in me. Let me show you the fullness of what I can do. And Ahaz says no. And so if we turn our gaze maybe inward on ourselves, the question becomes, what, what does a crisis expose about us? Moments where things aren't going well. Places in our lives where things aren't at all the way we want them to be. When those things crop up, and maybe it's just the minor inconveniences of going 19 hours without power. What does that expose about us? Where our hope is, where our trust is. Maybe we're not as, as brazen as... Isaiah, or as Ahaz here, and say, God, I don't, don't want you, but functionally, where do we say the same things? Maybe think about it this way. Something comes up in your life, a crisis, something that needs to be navigated through or managed, and you, you, you pray about it. And then you go and do the exact thing that you were planning on doing all along. I think that's how a lot of us navigate moments of crisis. Sure, we'll, we'll pray, but, but we really do have a plan figured out. We've really got the Assyrians coming in, and they're going to take care of it, but we'll pray about it. I think this book and this passage invites us to pray with openness, with humility, to say, Lord, would, would you get me through this? Would you show me the sense that we see here? Would you show me that you are a God who is faithful? I don't know what this means. I don't know how you're going to get me through this crisis. I don't know what you have for me in this moment, but Lord, you are the one who again and again has shown your character to be, to be good. Be faithful. Instead, too often we're like Ahaz. 
He goes and has already made a conclusion about where his hope rests. And I think many of us, too, as we look at our lives, we've already made strong conclusions about where our hope lies, about what's going to make us happy, about what's going to make us satisfied. We have things that we've concluded that that truly is what gives us what we need. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's an image. Maybe it's another trip. Maybe it's more education. All of those things we say, these are the things that I've made a conclusion about, and these are the things that will sustain me. And in those moments when we do that, we are, we are like Ahaz. We say, God, I'm, I'm all set. I'm all set. I don't need your sign. I don't need your provision. And so ultimately what we see in these first couple of verses is it's not God who is being tested here. It's Ahaz. Ahaz is the one who is tested, and he fails the test. Challenged to, to show belief in God, the God who is described as your God, the one who is the God of his covenant with him, all of those things, your God, would you believe in him? So far, he's been nothing more than a nominal follower, sort of going on with the state religion, and this crisis exposes, as, exposes him as an unbeliever, as his sign is, is refused. So what does God do? In this moment, Ahaz has said, no, I don't want your sign. What does God do? Well, he gives a sign. Look with me at verse 13. God says this through Isaiah. Hear then, O house of David. The gaze or the, the sort of the context expands here, not just Ahaz, but the whole house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Now, what does it mean to weary in this context? Well, it seems that again and again, Ahaz has had an opportunity to turn, opportunity to believe. And it's worn out the prophet, telling him again and again of the hope that he could have. Did you notice also in that text that there is a change there? No longer is God referred to as Ahaz's God. It's not your God. It's now my God. It's now the prophet's God, my God. And it seems that there is a major turn here, if you will, as we think through sort of the biblical narrative. Ahaz, the king of Judah in a moment where he should turn to God and say, God, would you sustain me against these external threats? What has he done? He's gone away from God to the Assyrians and said, would you come and serve them? What does this mean? What does this mean for God's house? What does it mean for God's promise that there will always be a king of David, an everlasting covenant that God made with King David? What what does all of that mean? Is all of this now in jeopardy? The crisis has gotten worse. What does God do? He gives a sign. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. That's the sign. In the midst of all of this chaos of Assyria and Syria and Israel and Judah and all of this mess, here's the sign. A virgin will conceive and have a son, and you shall call, and she will call his name Jesus, as we see reflected in the New Testament. But here is the sign that is, is given, and if you're reading through this as we follow along this morning, that might catch you a little bit off guard. This is the sign? This is the time to give the prophecy of the virgin birth? And we saw it reflected in our uh, assurance of grace this morning, the wonderful way that Matthew takes this verse and says, This is about Jesus. 
But this is about Jesus. That's ultimately what this this promise is. In this moment where the whole sort of covenant seems to be in jeopardy, Jesus comes in. The sign is given, something that is is secure and, and, and firm in what is offered. And it's a virgin that will conceive. Now, that's an odd promise. It's an odd prophecy. It's not something that I think anybody would say I was expecting that. That's the sign that I thought God would give. In fact, it's a sign that is, is somewhat vague. We see some of what's coming on, but, but you know what he didn't say? He didn't come out and say, 500 years from now, about 3 AD, there's going to be a baby born in Bethlehem, Mother Mary, Father Joseph, and give the rest of the details. We don't get that detail of the prophecy, do we? There's a bit of sort of a sense of we say, okay, God, what, what are you doing? I see that God is going to be with us, that there is this miracle of a virgin birth, but, but what is all, all happening? This is one of the f- fundamentals of the faith. Have you ever been called a fundamentalist? Yes or no? Maybe? Maybe not? Historically, we are all fundamentalists. Historically, the term fundamentalist comes from those who read this text and said, I don't really think this is talking about a virgin, and sort of jettisoned the virgin, the virgin birth. And, and this is about 1910. There's some church history in the uh, Presbyterian world of, of North America. And anyways, they, there was an articulation of five fundamentals. The virgin birth, along with things like inerrancy, substitutionary atonement, miracles, and the body resurrection, bodily resurrection of Christ were affirmed as things that are fundamental to the faith. So this promise here is not something that is just sort of a nice little footnote, but it's actually something significant. Something significant. It's interesting that the word used here, and we're not going to do a, a lecture on Hebrew this morning, but the word used here for virgin is a, is a word that Isaiah could have chosen a more explicit word for. But he chose to use this word. And in part, I think he does that because there is a near and a far fulfillment of this prophecy. Think about what verse 15 says. It says, he shall eat curds. This is talking about a child born in the way that verse 14 describes. He shall eat curds of honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, what is that getting at? It's one of those verses that makes us scratch our head and say, I just want to go read about the Jesus story in Matthew again. What's it talking about? Eating curds and honey, we get a note on what that means later in the text in verse 22. It's not a time of abundance, but it's actually something that reflects a time when there has been desolation brought on God's people, and so this is what is left to eat, curds and honey. This child will be young. That's what the language of refusing evil and choosing the good means. Someone who is Who is still young, still is developing. There's not an age set on it, but it's someone who is quite young. And verse 16 adds this, For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So there seems, in a sense, to be an expectation that this sign given in verse 14 of Emmanuel coming will be fulfilled in the near term in the near term. And that, I think that's a, the, the right way to read this text is there is a near fulfillment of God promising a sign to Ahaz that says, I'm going to take care of God's people. But that near sign pales in comparison to the fullness of the far sign that is Christ who comes. In the fullness of this language of Emmanuel, of God with us, 
who fulfills not just the, the near aspect that fits into this context, but connects to the reality that there is something bigger than we can ever imagine going on in this passage. Something that strains at our very imagination that God would be with us, that Emmanuel would come. No earthly child, no earthly mother could, and, and father could provide a child like that. Only in the incarnation of Christ could we see the fullness of what this promise offers. So what do we do with this? How do we begin to maybe move to some, some application? Consider what Ahaz does. Look at verse 17. Even as he sees this sign that even in his own life there will be proof that these two kings, which are Syria and Ephraim, coming in on him, they will, their land will be deserted. They will be done away with. What does he do? Verse 17, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. It's not a good time. If you read back in 1 Kings 10, that's a time where the kingdom divides. It's a time of conflict. It's not something to be longed for. And then finally comes this sort of declaration, the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria will come, and we'll see that in the coming weeks through Isaiah, that the king of Assyria will come and, and bring destruction on Israel. Absolutely. Israel will be done away with. The ten tribes, we don't, they're taken into exile. They're gone. There's destruction that comes here. The king of Assyria, this vehicle that God uses, comes, and in some way, Ahaz has looked to it for his support and his strength. And God gives him a sign in some sense that says, yes, the things that you long for will, will come, but the king of Assyria can never really provide for you. That same king of Assyria who will come and inflict damage on your enemies will also enslave you. So there's a question for us as we look at a text like this, is where does our trust truly lie? That's a, that's a question I'm sure you've been asked before. Where do you, who do you trust You've heard that from pulpits probably your whole life. Who do you trust? But in this text, it just throws it in a, such a sharp contrast to really consider where does your trust lie? Is it with the Assyrians? How robust is your trust in God? And not maybe just in the moment of crisis where things are falling apart, but in the mundane aspects of your life. Is it brittle? Is it eroded? Is it sort of a tentative trust? Or is it a trust in the true sign that we see in verse 14? A sign of a virgin conceiving, a sign of God being with us, of mystery, of miracle, of all of these things that don't make sense in our human capacity, but here they are shown to us of a God who comes. This promise is not just given for Assyria and for this day, but also for us. We are given a sure and final sign of what God is doing. As we read this text, it's very easy for us to just run to Jesus. And the great thing about this is, is we do, but not in a wooden way. This isn't some sort of promise that says, okay, we're supposed to look for a virgin, and so when that happens, having a child, then, then Jesus is here. It's about, it's about more than that. I think why this promise is given right here is summarized well in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, where it says this. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. See, what Isaiah is doing here, what God is doing by giving this sign now is, is saying it's not just about having one sign that gets you through the next crisis. 
It's not about tomorrow you need another sign because the week's hard. It's about in this moment when the very kingdom that God has promised seems to be coming apart, God gives not a sign, but the sign, the sign that a child will come. Now, did they understand all of that? Probably not. In fact, when the Jews were in in sort of the first century, they weren't looking for a virgin to give birth. That wasn't their expectation. And yet God expands far beyond what they could have ever hoped or dreamed and says, this is what I am giving you. God with us is not just another one of the nice names that we see for some of the sons in the book of Isaiah. If you've read through Isaiah, you know that there are some, some fun names. We'll get to this one next week, week after that. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. It's a great name, right? Emmanuel doesn't just sort of fade into all these crazy names. Emmanuel becomes the very purpose, the very sign that God is giving his people. And so Ahaz, in his unbelief, is given not just a random sign for another day in God's kingdom, but he's given the very sign that all of us need. And so let's think back for a moment. I asked you to think about what sign you would ask for. You can tell me after what it would be. The good news for us is that we actually have a sign, and it's better than anything you dreamed up this morning. It's better than anything you dreamed up this morning. The sign that we have is the sign of Jesus. He has come. That this prophecy was fulfilled, that a virgin conceived, and beyond anybody's expectations, it was God with us. Not just in some, he's sort of with us, his presence, he's going to help us. No, he dwelled with us. He was with us. That is the sign that we have. That is the sign that each week as we come and we celebrate together the Lord's Supper that we remember that we have a sign. And that that might feel maybe a little bit different, a little bit too hard to maybe wrap our minds around. We'll talk about how we can be carried forward through our difficulty with that in just a moment. But consider the sign that we're given here in, 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 in comparison to all the other things we look at for support. All the things that we look for in our moments of crisis, what are the things that we sort of try to, to fill in our lives with? Maybe it's our ability, maybe it's a substance, maybe it's any sort of things we say, this is what I sort of need to help me through what I'm, I'm going through. For Ahaz, it was the Assyrians. What, will, what you find, and what I'm sure you have found, is whatever you look for, for salvation, ends up consuming you. Whatever you look for, for salvation, ends up consuming you whether it's finances, whether it's any number of things, when we say, this is what will save me, it consumes you, except with Jesus. When we look to him for salvation, instead of being consumed, instead of being undone, like Ahaz is here and will eventually be by the Assyrians and those who come after him, instead of all of that, we have the gift of salvation in and through Jesus that doesn't destroy us, but it makes us the people that we are called to be and transforms us into the image of our Savior. And that might still seem very distant. That might seem like it's down the road a ways. Um, maybe you've driven up I-10, right? And there's the, always that Bucky sign as you get into Bernie, the Bucky's that maybe someday will come to Bernie. If you've been on the road trips, you know that experience, though. The, my favorite Bucky signs are the ones that say 287 miles to the next Bucky's. 
right? And so you look at your, your watch, and you're like, okay, that's X number of hours. I can, I can make that. And then after that, you get past that sign, and, and then you sort of are in the in-between, right? Between the sign and eventually that destination. That's maybe where you are this morning. That's where all of us are. The sign has been given, and in fact, it has come in and through Jesus. And yet we're still waiting in our moments of crisis for the fullness of that to come. What does God give us as we wait? He gives us this table. He gives us this table as a sign for us that He will come again. That this sign is not just a, a once-off thing, but this is the sign that says all of the promises of God, every promise of God, all of them are yes in Jesus. And so as we come to the table this morning, it reminds us of what is true. It reminds us of the big cosmic story that God is working, His plan from the get-go to come and save us, to bring us to live with Him, where He will dwell with us, where Emmanuel, God with us, is not just something we read on a page, not just something that happened in, Jerusalem, or in Bethlehem, something that in and through this table is shown to us that God is with us, and points us to our hope of living with Him eternally, enjoying the fullness of that. So in our crises, in whether they're personal or cosmic, God gives us the sign of Jesus to trust, a sign of salvation. And so the question for us is not, will He give us a sign? Instead, it is, He has given us a sign. What will we do with it? God has moved heaven and earth. He has given us the sign of Jesus. We can trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the sign of Jesus. Thank you for a prophecy given to Ahaz years ago. Picture of Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, as we come and go, come here and now go from here with many concerns, many difficulties in our lives, would you, by the power of your Spirit, take what we see in this passage and, and work it into our lives to show us that you have given us a sign, that you are a God who is faithful, God who doesn't abandon or leave his people. Would we trust that? Would we know that more? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.